Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Don't Risk It, Secure It podcast. I am your host, Elisa Bibilonia. I am with 24 by 7 Security. And in this first episode, we're going to be talking all things HIPAA benefits and some frequently asked questions from you guys in regards to HIPAA and being HIPAA compliant. So make sure to listen and tune into the episode, and I hope you enjoy. For this segment of the Don't Risk It Secure podcast, I am joined with RuPaul Taladi, one of our security analysts here at 24x7. Uh, she will be giving us some of the main benefits of HIPAA. So for those of you that do not know, HIPAA stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. So RuPaul, from your experience working with so many health organizations on their HIPAA compliance, what would you say are some of the main benefits? Uh, right, Alisa. So as you mentioned, uh, HIPAA, it's a federal law and uh, the, the primarily it was established uh, for one particular reason or issue, uh, in, in insurance coverage for individuals that were between jobs. So without HIPAA, employees faced a loss of uh, insurance coverage when they were between the jobs, right? And the right. second goal of HIPAA was to prevent the healthcare fraud and ensure that all the PHI, that is the protected health information, was appropriately secured and also to restrict the access to this health data from unauthorized individuals. So, you know, uh, HIPAA compliance is mandated for organizations that, that are working in healthcare uh, sector. Uh, there are many benefits of HIPAA compliance, but I would uh, uh, name some, uh, you know, uh, main uh, benefits, like right. one of the greatest benefits of HIPAA is for the patients because it ensures that you know all the healthcare providers and the health plans and uh, the clearing houses healthcare clearing houses and the business associates of this hipaa covered entities they must implement multiple safeguards to protect the sensitive uh, health information right uh, you know while no healthcare organization wants to expose sensitive data or you know have uh, health information health information stolen but without HIPAA there would be no requirement for them to safeguard the data and so there won't be any repercussions if they fail to do so hence uh, you know HIPAA was established and it requires that all the healthcare organizations um, they can control who has access to the health data, they can restrict who can view the information uh, and also you know who who the information can be shared with so they can, uh, you know, uh, uh, control all this. Uh, the second one, uh, second one, I would say, so the first one is benefit for patients. Also, uh, HIPAA benefits uh, to the healthcare organizations also. Um, so HIPAA was introduced for the health industry, right? To So it, it mandated uh, the healthcare industry to transition from paper records to the electronic copies of health information. So what this did, and then then they you know mandated this, and they also uh, you know st uh, started incentivizing the healthcare professionals, whoever used the EMR, and because of this, the whole process uh, was streamlined and it improved the efficiency in the healthcare industry. Right, and it also right. secured the PHI. Uh, uh, the 
it it basically you know uh, all the covered entities they then started using this they started using the same standard code sets that is the national recognized identifiers and this helps enormously uh, the transfer of uh, you know electronic health information between the healthcare providers and health plans and other entities so it helps the healthcare organizations also right yeah, um, and how yeah. I've seen it, sorry to cut you off, um, how I now I'm kind of understanding it is just that it obviously benefits the patient because when once a patient goes to any doctor's office, whatever the case may be, there's so many, there's so much information that you give. You give right. so much personal information, email, birthday, social security at times, um, but of course it benefits the patient, but it, as you mentioned, it also benefits the healthcare organization. So it's a win-win situation. It's a win-win situation, exactly. And then the third point, again, I'm gonna mention is for the patient. So uh, before this legislation was passed, uh, patients were not allowed to see their medical files at all. So HIPAA made it possible for patients to make corrections and you know make copies of their medical information upon request and make decisions about when and with whom their personal information can be shared. So it helped everyone, particularly those, uh, you know, with uh, pre-existing conditions and uh, people now can change their jobs without worrying about the status, about their health insurance. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, uh, it also, you know, protects the privacy uh, of the personal information. So. Basically, the law prevents discussing personal cases at doctors, offices, pharmacies, or other care centers. So, you know, if if you are talking to the uh, in, in the practice, uh, you know, loudly about your uh, symptoms or uh, you know anything, and someone is listening, that is not allowed, right? right. Ultimately, it helps to limit the disclosure of personal information when it is unnecessary. And that leads to fewer cases of my medical identity theft or breach of information. So, uh, you know, uh, this is how it protects the privacy of the PHI, patient's information. That's awesome, that's awesome. Um, I wanna ask a quick question. So for healthcare organizations that aren't HIPAA compliant, what are, what are some of the main dangers for both the organization and for the patient? So basically, you know, uh, when when uh, uh, your identity is stolen, you know, it is out there and anybody can misuse your identity. So it is very dangerous for the patient. And so one of the one of the uh, benefit I was going to mention was this uh, that uh, you know how the uh, it 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 benefits the organization and the executives. It it reduces them from the liability. So. Uh, it's not just the patient, you know, they, that they are protected. It's also the organization and the company's executives that, right. uh, you know, they are also uh, protected by adhering to these HIPAA laws. Because uh, once uh, you understand how the HIPAA uh, law works and, you know, how to protect the patient data and to ensure the safety of their personal information, the, the one way you can do is uh, train your staff, 
uh, you know, uh, give them the so the HIPAA training is mandatory under the government regulation. So you have to train your staff. Um, and once your uh, uh, your uh, staff is trained, and and if if any organization goes through a HIPAA lawsuit or investigation, just and that then just by having this one correct training, they are protecting themselves and the staff. So if you are found responsible for not training your staff properly on HIPAA procedures, then uh, the company can be faced with uh, huge penalties and large fines. And, uh, you know, the executives, they can also uh, wind up with, uh, uh, you know, the liability lawsuits uh, 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 due to the failure in training their employees. So, uh, you know, it is uh, very, very important that uh, you are aware with the HIPAA laws, you adhere to the law, and you uh, do uh, make sure that you are HIPAA compliant. Um, right. Yes. So, uh, I think that is all for the organization. Mm -hmm. The training and the HIPAA risk assessment, those things are very important. Um, so, there's, I know there's multiple... As you mentioned, there's so many penalties for both for both the patient and the organization if the organization is not HIPAA compliant. But I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, in your experience, you've dealt with some organizations that weren't compliant. Why do you, what, I'm just trying to reason why they would not be HIPAA compliant and what and what you know, do you think stops uh, so, them? Uh, the, the, the practices, this healthcare covered entities, they have to, uh, you know, make sure that the three main, uh, uh, main uh, what do you call the safeguards of the HIPAA security rule, the administrative safeguard where you are, you know, uh, doing the workforce training and evaluating you know having the policies and procedures in place and uh, all those things you have to make sure that you go through the, you uh, have the administrative safeguard in place then the third one is the second one sorry is the technical safeguard that you know when you access the system uh, the access control the audit control are you auditing you know the system that who is accessing your systems uh, they must implement the technical policies and procedures procedures that allow only the authorized persons to access the EPHI. So technical safeguard is for the uh, EPHI, the integrity controls, right? That the PHI is not altered or destroyed. So electronic measures must be put in place to confirm that EPHI has not been, you know, altered or destroyed. The, the, the transmission, how the data is being, you know, transmitted from your computers and your networks. So these things, they have to make sure that, you know, they adhere to. And that brings me to uh, the another benefit, which is uh, enhanced cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. So uh, organizations are required required to keep their data systems, their networks, uh, their software patched and always up to date. So if they are using any old operating system and, uh, you know, the patching uh, is not available, then they should not be using any 
old uh, operating system equipment. Uh, many medical providers previously failed to keep their data systems updated if there was, you know, there was one in place at all. Mm-hmm. So modern and updated systems have the capability to automatically reduce manual errors. So additionally, I think organizations must be more aware of this, uh, you know, ransomware attack and malicious software that can potentially compromise the patient health information. And uh, many actually healthcare records have been breached due to lack of this adequate cybersecurity measures in place. Uh, So if HIPAA did not exist, then many healthcare organizations would most likely take uh, cybersecurity measures more lightly. And, you know, that's where- It's not something to take lightly. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then we come in picture that, you know, uh, we help them uh, where there is a gap, you know, what they are missing, and we can, you know, put the whole cybersecurity plan for them together. And uh, so I think I, I mentioned uh, uh, you, uh, four, four benefits, right? Uh, benefits uh, for patients, benefits, benefits for healthcare organizations. Um, also the enhanced cybersecurity, then uh, how it reduces the liability for the organization and the executives. And I think uh, another more important uh, aspect uh, or noteworthy benefit of HIPAA is that it requires organizations to also focus on the security of their uh, physical infrastructure. I think that is very, very, very important. Uh, anybody, you know, if you, you know, anybody can walk in with no badge or uh, no security guard, uh, that would be very dangerous because, mm-hmm. you, you know, don't know who's coming in there, right? You don't know who is coming in. Yeah, because you are saving your servers, your computers, uh, all those things. And if you are not locking, having proper physical safeguard, then uh, that puts everything in danger. Mm-hmm. So um, other other physical security measures, uh, you know, uh, you know, I do the assessment and I have seen that uh, sometimes they have the surveillance cameras, they have alarm systems. So there are many ways you can secure your, uh, you know, physical uh, location, um, mm-hmm. right? So uh, again, before this legislation, uh, many of these items were kept in common or, you know, in unprotected areas. And uh, that is one of the main reason that there were, you know, uh, stolen equipment or unauthorized access to the information, right? Right. So these items are required to be kept. These are important things like computers need to be password protected, you know, have a strong password. Servers have to be encrypted, your laptops, if you're taking them out, you know, uh, make sure that you are not uh, keeping it visible in the car. Uh, Somebody can steal it. It has to be encrypted. So, you know, when you show these things, these safeguards in that, you know, you are doing your due diligence to protect all this uh, PHI or EPHI, then, uh, you know, the penalties and uh, fines are lowered. Right. So also this, you know, power supplies and backups, and there's so many things when you think about it that, you know, you you have it in your workplace. So uh, 
it is very important that you also have a physical security plan for mm -hmm. your workplace. Right. And all, what I'm gathering is just it's always better to be prepared, right? Always to always be prepared. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. um, well, RuPaul, thank you so much. You did a great job. Your benefits are amazing. And for those organizations out there that aren't HIPAA compliant, we really advise you to do so just because, as you heard, there's so many benefits. And it's, as I mentioned before, it's a win-win situation for everyone. Correct. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, RuPaul. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. So joining me for this segment of the podcast is Anna Ruth Nadkarni. And Anna Ruth, I'll let you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do here at 24 by 7 and the ball's in your court. Sure. So like Elisa said, my name is Anna Ruth Nadkarni. I am a senior security analyst here at 24 by 7 Security. I've been with the company just over four years and I've performed... Uh, several HIPAA security risk assessments for organizations of all sizes, ranging from a small single physician doctor's office up to large hospital systems and managed service organizations. Uh, I do hold a HCISPP certificate, which is a privacy and security practitioner for healthcare. Nice. And, uh, uh, awesome. So he's definitely more than qualified for all of the questions that we received for you guys background in regards to HIPAA and everything. Sure, so HIPAA was actually passed back in 1996. It is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Uh, in that time frame or since that time frame, there have been a number of additions uh, that have been made to the law to kind of strengthen it. And uh, no notable additions since 2013, that was the final omnibus rule. Uh, but really the, the main goal of HIPAA is not just to enforce privacy and security of your healthcare. It's also the portability of your healthcare. You know, how can you transfer your healthcare uh, information, your medical information? How can you be comfortable that it's secure? Right. Uh, how can you ensure that you're getting proper patient care without any of your information being divulged? Right, and you give so much information when, as the patient, so in order to ensure that that's safe, it's a win-win. Right, and that's a great point. Uh, I do a lot of HIPAA training for our clients, and one of the things that always sticks out to me and something I like to enforce with staff that I'm training is it's not just necessarily medical information that people may be after if they're trying to access your account. Right. And I encourage you to think about the information you give a physician when you have to go into a doctor's office. It's not just your symptoms. It's not just what you're feeling. It's okay, I have to give my name, my date of birth, my address. A lot of times it may include your social security number, right. it may include a driver's license number, it may include very specific identifiable information about yourself. Right. And, you know, so someone will ask me, hey, like if someone hacks into my record and they see that I have a cold and this is the, the treatment that I got for it, you know, who cares? Right. And I do want to emphasize, yes, there are certain medical treatments that are more embarrassing than others and people don't want that information getting out there. But really, it's not that people are concerned that you had a cold and that information got out there. It's, okay, now you have my my name, my phone number, my email address, my social security right. number, my date of birth. 
Now we're talking about things like identity theft, insurance exactly. fraud, a lot more serious crimes and activities that can happen with information that's inside your health record. Definitely, yeah, I agree. Um, so with all of this being said, we can definitely segue into a, one of our first questions. This is one of the main questions we received. It says, how does HIPAA impact patient care? Uh, and again, this is another great question. Uh, I think a lot of uh, care providers, physicians, they ask me this all the time also. It's, hey, you know, I'm focused on providing care to a patient if they come in, regardless of what type of doctor or care provider they are. And they ask me, how does keeping this data secure have to do with my job? And right. kind of the most drastic example I can give them is, you know, imagine if you are an employee, a doctor, a nurse, whoever, who works at a large hospital, if your systems are impacted by any type of malware or ransomware and you are unable to access your computers, you're unable to access your files, it can directly impact patient care. Right. You may not be able to go in and see what treatment a specific patient is receiving. You may not be able to go in and see specific medical information about mm -hmm. that patient. That is a lot of times important information that you require in order to make a decision about that patient's care. So that's one instance. Uh, another is something we briefly touched on. If I am a patient who has had my information taken and someone else has now racked up a lot of bills or some type of medical fraud under my name, I may go in and I may see a doctor who's now giving me different treatment because someone else has made changes to my medical record because they've assumed my identity. Mm. I may be impacted in the way I receive patient care because uh, my insurance company is now saying, hey, you have racked up all these charges and you haven't paid. So there are ways it can directly impact how you treat or how you care for a patient. Okay, yeah, very, very well said. Uh, the next question I have here is, how can I protect my organization from HIPAA security related breaches and large fines? So there are a lot of factors that can go into this and without getting into a very big breakdown of what HIPAA is, but the HIPAA security rule specifically has three safeguards. It's the administrative, technical, and physical safeguards. And really the main thing I want to focus on for this question is within the administrative safeguards is uh, performing a risk analysis and coming up with a risk management plan. Mm -hmm. And the reason this is so important is you cannot really identify what the biggest challenges are to your organization from a security perspective unless you have performed some type of risk analysis. That may be through uh, an internal document that you use. That may be through the use of an outside consultant coming in, doing a formal risk assessment for you. But in order to mitigate risk, you first have to identify risk. Right. So if you're trying to say, how can I protect my organization? It's perform that risk analysis, find out which areas you may be vulnerable in, and then put together a risk management plan. And that way you can take that plan, depending on your organization, to your IT vendor, your IT department, and say, these are the things I need to install, and this is the period of time I need to do them in, in order to mitigate my risk so I'm not liable for any of these large fines. That may happen if a breach occurs. Okay. And the other thing I would recommend is establishing a, a widely recognized information security framework a good one that we recommend is the NIST cybersecurity framework. Uh, 
that way you know that you have the controls in place and you are mapping out your security program to a well-established framework. And that way, you know, if a breach does occur, if some investigation does occur, you can strongly say, hey, I have all of my proper protocols in place because I have mapped them to a industry-recognized Right, framework. you have that plan. Exactly. Okay, perfect, perfect. Now, uh, this question I think is one of the most important ones I would say. So it says, what can you do to protect my organization from ransomware? So this is another great question, and this is something we get asked a lot during uh, assessments and consultations that we do. Right. And unfortunately, I think the climate is such in not just healthcare, it could be in finance, education, wherever, that it's not what do I do uh, if I get breached with ransomware, it's what do I do when it happens. Right. So really, the best way to do it is to have preventative care in place, so that way you're not reacting you have all the proper controls in place to prevent a breach like that. So the first thing that we recommend, and I've seen this with a lot of organizations that have challenges, is making sure you have a proper backup system in place. That way, if any of your critical files do get affected with any type of malware or ransomware, you have a recent backup that you can use to restore all those files. So that's one that's very information are very important and you also want to make sure you have a documented plan in place that you can follow uh, so you can back up and restore all of that data. Uh, another thing we've seen is a little bit of disorganization. I think a lot of organizations will have the proper technical controls in place, things like backups. However, they're not prepared from a administrative uh, point of view. Uh, if a breach or if an incident or event does occur, they don't have a step-by-step -step plan or procedure that they can follow. They're kind of doing everything on an ad hoc, scrambling basis. It's very important to have that documentation in place so anyone who's involved with that uh, data recovery plan or the incident response plan can follow the steps and that way your organization stays organized if you're dealing with any type of suspected threat. Uh, the other things I would recommend is making sure that all of your operating systems and softwares are up to date, mm -hmm. uh, making sure that everything has the latest patches. Uh, we also recommend ma maintaining an up-to-date antivirus or anti-malware solution uh, that can scan things like internet downloads. And a lot of this is also uh, training. Uh, again, a lot of organizations will have the proper technical controls in place, but it's hard to sometimes avoid human error. Right. I think we've all seen the suspicious emails come in. I think everyone once in their lifetime has, at least once in their lifetime, received yeah. the free Starbucks gift card email. Yeah. So it's, it's making sure that your users are trained not to click on suspicious right. links, making sure users are trained to report incidents right away. And again, this boils down to the human aspect. No one wants to be that person who's like, hey, I clicked on this and I messed something up for my entire organization. Exactly. It's you hard need to, to admit. stress the important exactly. You need to stress the importance of, hey, it's much worse if you click on this and don't report it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you know right away your security team, your IT team, whoever you have can get in front of the problem. Yeah, and get in front of it quicker rather exactly. than waiting on it and all of that. Exactly. And the other things just to close out this question. 
things like, you know, if you have users coming in and they are using company workstations, mm -hmm. company computers, making sure that they're not downloading personal software on there. Uh, you know, you should have a list of applications that are vetted by the company that you know are safe and let users download those. Because, you know, you may not know what this user is bringing in from home and putting into your environment. Uh, another one is just, you know, staying involved. Uh, there's a number of newsletters out there where you can see what the different trends are. Uh, the other thing is, you know, follow the risk analysis we talked about. You know, if you notice that there are vulnerabilities where ransomware may make its way into your environment, right. make those your priority items in your risk management plan and figure out how you want to address those. So a follow-up question I have for that, the vulnerabilities are gonna be different for every organization sure. and all of that. So it's very important that they kind of figure out their certain vulnerabilities, correct? Exactly, exactly. And again, you know, we deal with organizations of all shapes and sizes. It's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all right. solution. But, you know, I think we've highlighted some basic steps, the patching, making sure systems are updated, backups that you can do to greatly reduce your risk uh, from a ransomware attack happening. Perfect, perfect. So now this question I feel is very related to the world that we're living in now. Um, and it says, how can I stay secure and compliant with the work from home situation slash lifestyle? Great, and again, this is a, a very common question we've had, especially in the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. Uh, and to be honest, you know, this is something that is difficult for a lot of organizations to get in front of. But it's just so new. It is very new and it's the challenge of updating these security protocols as users are making this change. You don't have the luxury of saying, hey, wait till we implement these changes, then start working from right. home. You kind of have to do everything on the fly. So a few things we've recommended to our clients is, uh, if possible, uh, prohibiting the use of BYOD or bring your own device uh, situations. Mm, uh, wow, never heard of that. Really what that means is if you have the capability, you should make sure your staff have laptops that have been imaged, laptops that have been scanned by your IT team or whoever is responsible, and users are working off of those devices. Mm -hmm. Again, some of the challenges with uh, the bring your own device is you don't know what personal software users have on there. Uh, you don't know if that software or if those laptops have the proper antivirus, anti-malware, the basic security tools we talked about with the ransomware question. So it's more easy to infect one of those systems. Uh, some of the other things we also recommend is uh, setting up a VPN. So if you have users that are making remote connections back to where your main site is, that there is a VPN system set up and that way that communication and that transmission of information is secure. Uh, the third one I would mention is two-factor authentication. Again, just to ensure that when users are logging on, you can verify that person's identity through some type of two-factor system. And really, again, you can have all these technical controls in place, but you do want to make sure that you're, again, emphasizing the education piece of it. You want to let your users know why is it so important that you use the VPN? Why is it so important to use the two-factor authentication? Right. A lot of these things are, I don't want to say big inconveniences, but they are extra steps you right. have to do in order to do your job. 
But I think if you explain to your staff, hey, the reason we're doing this, and it's an extra 30 seconds or an extra one minute of your time. Nothing crazy. It's so much more important from the security aspect. Right. Because you're really helping the organization stay safe from any breaches. So I would, you know, put a lot of emphasis on the education, uh, not just, you know, what is the VPN, what is multi-factor authentication, but also, hey, this is how you develop a strong password. Right. Um, things like not sharing your password. Things like if you're even jotting down notes while you're at work, making sure that you have a shredder or something so you're disposing mm, okay. of information uh, correctly. Because again, it's... So it's less, important to think ahead rather than... Yes. And again, working from home is kind of a less controlled environment. You know, you don't know if your staff have roommates, whoever yeah. comes in. You know, you want to make sure that... Everything is secure in that situation. Again. And again, from the education perspective, it's, hey, even if you are working from home, you should be treating it like you're working from the office. And when we do assessments and we come into offices, we come into clinics, it's something we always look for. You know, sometimes people will go through the work and they've come together and put like a really nice password together for themselves it's 15 characters it's impossible to guess but then that person has written it down on a sticky note and it's under their keyboard or it's right. in their cubicle and anyone can kind of see it so we come in and we educate people to say hey you shouldn't do this you should be exercising those same cautions in your work from home space awesome very well said and the final and last question that we have here for you is how does HIPAA security rule apply to telemedicine? So again, I think this is a question that's really become a lot more relevant in the last year and a half as right. a lot of people are working from home. But the best things to keep in mind is first, only authorized users should have access to ePHI. So. Uh, PHI is protected health information. Yeah. It's kind of the crux of HIPAA. It's making sure that sensitive and identifiable patient information is kept secure. Uh, the security rule focuses mainly on any type of electronic version of ePHI. So typically, if you think about your doctor's office, anywhere you go, there really only should be a handful of people who have access to edit information in your chart, right? If I am someone who just works at the front desk and I handle scheduling, I don't need to go in and edit your treatment information. Okay. So again, it should be you should be making sure that even if you are seeing patients and it is over some type of telemedicine platform, that only those users that have access to PHI have that uh, information. Uh, the next thing is ensuring that the system of your of communication that you're using is protecting the integrity of PHI. Mm -hmm. uh, so you want to make sure you, you have a system in place where that connection between you and the patient is secure. Right. A lot of these uh, telecommunication sites now uh, have implemented these controls and you can use them. Uh, again, you want to make sure that you are vetting some of these vendors. You're not just using free versions of these different softwares that are out there. You're using something that is HIPAA compliant. Uh, if necessary, you want to make sure you have the proper vendor and business associate agreements in place uh, because it's their responsibility as a business associate to ensure that they're protecting the data the right. same way you would as a covered entity. Yeah, definitely. So, um, And just a few other things to think of is just you know making sure you have a system in place so that you know 
um, you know, who has accessed your telemedicine platforms? Do mm -hmm. you have a auditing system in place where you can say this person spoke to this patient on this date? Um, you know, it doesn't have to be recorded interviews, but just something so you can say, so you can track that internally mm -hmm. in case you do suspect any type of breach. Uh, and you know, also avoid using the more insecure methods of telecommunication, uh, texting, social media. Mm, okay. And this is something that we've seen as a, a general issue even before COVID is, yes, it's very convenient to text your doctor and ask them a question instead of going all the way into the office. Right, however, making the appointment and all of that. However, that's inherently not a secure method of communication. Same thing with a lot of email platforms. Um, you know, don't go on your doctor's Facebook page and put in information about <laughs> right. yourself. And it's funny, but it's something we've seen people do. Mm. So just, uh, and be very mindful how you engage in that communication because right. then you can also be held liable for saying, hey, now you're treating someone in an open platform and addressing their concerns. So just, uh, just be very mindful. It's similar to the work from home situation. You know, just because you are not physically in the office doesn't mean you shouldn't have that office mindset. Right. Right. Like uh, another thing we see all the time in an office and I do during training is, you know, if I am talking, if I am a care provider and I'm talking with another care provider, am I being cognizant of who's around me? Who's in the room? Uh, can someone else determine if I'm talking about a specific patient? Mm. Uh, same thing when you're doing these telemedicine things, you know, make sure you're in an environment that is conducive to that telemedicine appointment. You know, you shouldn't really sit in the middle of a Starbucks and have your phone on full blast. And everybody there. And let everyone there listen in to what you're right. doing. Right. And who knows that who's at the Starbucks, right? Exactly. So. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Anirudh, I just want to thank you so much for your time and knowledge and answering all these questions for me. and. It's time to kick you out now. Okay, great. <laughs> thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in and listening to the first episode of the Don't Risk It, Secure It podcast provided by 24 by 7 Security. If you liked the podcast and want to hear more, make sure you follow all of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Keep up with us there in order to see updates on future episodes. Thank you so much.